Welcome to another disturbing episode of American Hauntings, the podcast hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. There isn't much that's amusing about this one. Every episode has taken you to the dark side of Hollywood, the movie capital of the world, a place that's supposed to be all about palm trees, swimming pools, and movie stars, but you're not going to find any of that this time around. This is a look at one of the most evil crimes in the history of Los Angeles and one that left a haunting in its wake. Each episode of this scandalous season, which started with episode 70 and well, will end at some point, reveals another sordid Hollywood tale of crime, corruption, murder, and of course, ghosts. But remember, the episodes in this season may not be suitable for all listeners, especially this one. So listen at your own risk. Hang up your telephone, lock the doors, and make sure you know where your children are as you tune in to this new episode of American Hauntings. It was Saturday afternoon in the suburban town of Inglewood, just a few miles from Los Angeles. Three little girls, Jeanette Stevens, age eight, Melba Everett, age nine, and Madeline Everett, age seven, left home with sandwiches to have a picnic in the park, just as thousands of other ordinary children were likely doing in thousands of other ordinary towns across the country. But this Saturday would turn out to be anything but ordinary. Hours passed and the afternoon began to turn to evening but the girls had not come home. Their mothers grew uneasy. Mrs. Stevens sent her seven-year-old son Garth to the park to look for the girls, but the park was empty. The girls were gone. An hour later, the parents called the police. By midnight, a community-wide search was on and the disappearance of the three lost girls was broadcast on the Los Angeles police network. By the next morning, the alarm was out all over the state. On Monday afternoon, six Boy Scouts who were part of a volunteer army that was scouring the countryside for the girls stumbled into a deep gully about two miles from the road in Baldwin Hills, deep in the weeds lying face down in the dirt were the half-naked bodies of the three missing girls. They had been raped and they had been strangled. As the horrible news of the murder spread through the Los Angeles area, the police began rounding up suspected sex criminals and piecing together possible clues. Little did they know that the killer they were seeking was standing just a few feet away. Wearing a WPA badge and serving as a volunteer policeman at the scene of the discovery of the bodies was a slim 32-year-old man who would known the three little girls from his work as a crossing guard in front of their elementary school. At the discovery of the bodies, he asked the men in the crowd not to smoke, quote, out of respect for the dead. When he went home that night, his 24-year-old wife, Isabel, helped him to add the day's newspaper clippings about the tragedy to a scrapbook he'd started when the girls were first reported missing. He'd known them, after all. He saw them every day at school. He told Isabel that he couldn't get their little faces out of his mind. By week's end, angry crowds were protesting in front of the Inglewood City Hall, threatening to lynch suspect after suspect the police were bringing in for questioning. Isabel's husband was right there with them, raising his voice louder than all the rest, until he was a suspect to which the police turned. 
He begged them to take him to Los Angeles where he could give his confession. The people in Inglewood would tear me to pieces, he said. When Isabel heard the news that her husband had confessed to the terrible murders, she wept. He couldn't have done this terrible thing, she sobbed. We both loved children. We lost two babies of our own. But he had done that terrible thing. He had lured the girls into the woods, murdered them, and then raped them one by one. Then, in a fit of remorse, he had prayed over their broken bodies and asked God to forgive him. And maybe God did, but the people of California did not. And neither did those three little girls. According to the killer himself, their spirits literally haunted him into the grave. On Saturday, June 26, 1937, there were plenty of people enjoying the day at Inglewood Centinella Park. The park was then described as a 60-acre beauty spot where city dwellers can dip in a pool, picnic, play tennis, and horseshoes. It was the perfect spot for three neighborhood girls to have a picnic on a sunny afternoon. The Everett sisters, Melba and Madeline, were there with their best friend and next-door neighbor, Jeanette Stevens. They'd arrived around 10 a.m. with a blanket, some toys, sandwiches, and a bottle of milk. They spent about two hours playing with their friends, eating their lunch, and at some point, speaking to a man someone later described as being dark-haired, unshaven, and in his late 20s. He was about 5 feet 9 inches tall, weighed around 140 pounds, and was wearing a tan work shirt and dungaree trousers. Around noon, Mrs. Crapcuff who newspapers called the matron of the pool, but was really just a park attendant who'd been roped into lifeguard duty, saw the girls running from the wading pool toward the picnic area. She asked them when they were going and Jeanette shouted back, rabbit hunting. She sped past with her two friends. Don't go too far, the pool matron called back and gave them a wave. Except for their killer, she was the last person to see the three girls alive. When the girls failed to return that night, their parents first sent Garth Stevens to see if he could find his sister and her friends. When he came back without them, though, they frantically made their own search of the park. Finding no sign of their daughters, they contacted Chief Oscar E. Campbell of the Inglewood Police. A description of the missing girls was sent out to every police station in the Los Angeles area, noting their ages, weights, hair color, and the clothing they'd been wearing when they left for the park. Inglewood's entire police department, as well as the fire department, began a search. They were joined by officers and deputy sheriffs from all over the Los Angeles and the surrounding areas, more than 50 members of the Santa Monica Mounted Police, hundreds of American Legion volunteers, scores of private citizens, and nearly 200 Boy Scouts. They were in automobiles, on horseback, and on foot. And they spent all day Sunday combing the countryside, including the ravines and gulches along the banks of the Sentinella Wash, a rugged section of the park. Although newspaper headlines suggested that the girls had been kidnapped for ransom, Chief Campbell was skeptical of this theory. For one thing, the families were not well off. Merle Everett, the father of Madeline and Melba, was a department store clerk, and Jeanette's father, Floyd, was a clerk at a grocery store. Also, by Sunday evening, neither family had received a demand for money. It's definitely not a ransom kidnapping, Chief Campbell finally announced to reporters late on Sunday afternoon. When asked if he thought the girls might be in the hands of a degenerate, he gave a grim reply. I'm beginning to fear the results of the search. I'm afraid to say whether we'll find them alive. 
Even after night had fallen, volunteers continued the search using torches and flashlights, roaming the Baldwin and Palos Verdes Hills, their voices echoing in the trees as they called the names of the three little girls over and over again. Local women served coffee and sandwiches to the men who walked the woods throughout the long night. By Monday, the searchers, now more than 500 men, were joined by a pair of airplanes that flew over the rough rolling hills to see into places the volunteers on the ground couldn't reach. Newspapers called it the most intensive manhunt in Southern California in more than a decade. The reporters were referring to a case from 12 years before when two sisters, Mary and Nina Martin, vanished mysteriously while walking just a few blocks to their grandmother's house. The skeletal remains of the two girls were discovered five months later in a nearby ravine and an autopsy determined they'd been slain by a quote, sex mad killer. It would not take nearly as long to find the bodies of Jeanette, Madeline, and Melba, but that discovery, as feared by Chief Campbell, would be just as terrible. It was a Boy Scout named Frank Portuna who found them, and it would be a long time before that 16-year-old would sleep well again. Around 2 p.m. on Monday afternoon, June 28th, Frank and five fellow members of the Inglewood Troop 2030 were carefully making their way down the rough slope of a hidden gully in the Baldwin Hills. Just as Frank reached the bottom, he looked up and choked at the ghastly sight. Lying face down in the dirt were the bodies of three little girls. They were each half naked with their skirts pushed up around their waists. Each of them had a piece of clothesline twisted tightly around her neck. Strangely, all three were barefoot. Their shoes had been removed and then carefully placed in a precise line not far from the bodies. Leaving his companions to watch over the scene, Frank raced back to town and informed the police about what they'd found. One reporter wrote, quote, the town was filled with horror. Business came to a virtual standstill. Huge crowds formed in front of the police station. Slowly but surely, the mob spirit rose. The mothers of the little victims collapsed while their husbands tried to stand up to the news. Well, the news that the bodies of the missing girls had been discovered spread rapidly in newspapers and on the radio. The people of Southern California were horrified by the reports and the newspapers further sensationalized the case by calling the murdered girls the Babes of Inglewood, a heartbreaking moniker that sold even more papers than they would have already sold before. In Sacramento, Governor Frank F. Merriman called on police officers throughout the state to devote themselves to capturing the killer, the perpetrator of what he called the most fiendish crime in the whole criminal annals of Los Angeles County. Now, that's a bit of an overstatement, but it did authorize hundreds of lawmen to join in the investigation. During interviews with other children who often played at Sentinella Park, including Olive Everett, the 11-year-old sister of Madeline and Melba, detectives learned of a possible suspect. He was known as Eddie the Sailor, and he had approached several girls in the park, entertained them with rope tricks, and offered to take them to his car to show them some rabbits. He was described as a Mexican-looking man in his late 20s, about 5 feet 9 inches tall, weighing between 150 and 165 pounds, with dark brown hair and mustache badly needing to shave, and a tattoo on his lower right arm. He was wearing a tan work shirt and dungarees. And yes, this is an almost identical description of the man last seen talking to the girls on the day they vanished. Well, over the next several days, dozens of men who roughly matched the description were hauled into the Inglewood police station for questioning. Mobs of outraged men and women loitered outside the station, trying to get a look at the men who were brought inside. Now, there were several likely suspects, all of them bad, but all of them also had solid alibis and they were questioned and released. 
Now, one suspect was a man named Albert Dyer, age 32, a crossing guard at the victim's elementary school, who, according to witness Mike Herta, knew Madeline, Melba, and Jeanette, and was always acting queer around little girls. However, Dyer had volunteered to help in the search and had recently been seen in the crowd outside the police station. He'd been told to pipe down after he'd shouted out threats to several of the men who were brought inside for questioning. He seemed an unlikely killer, but the detectives, well, they were being thorough. When they went to his house to speak to him, Dyer's wife told investigators that her husband was at home with her on the afternoon of the murders, working in the yard and gardening. They scratched him off their list. As with any sensational case, the investigation became bogged down with telephone calls, false reports, and dead-end leads. In Bel Air, a butler reported that several hours after the girls were strangled, a man wearing blood-stained clothing and resembling the killer had appeared at the back door of the home where he worked and desperately tried to sell his car. The man begged him to take it, saying that he desperately needed to get rid of it. He even offered to sell it for $10, but he was turned away. A shadowy figure named Otto was briefly sought by the police after Carol Sims, age 20, reported that the stranger had followed her from a San Pedro cafe, forced her into his car, and drove her to a cabin in the Palos Verdes Hills. He kept her captive there and repeatedly raped her before she could escape. While well, on June 30th, the search turned toward Glendale and northbound highways when a motorist named Andy Stankowitz telephoned police to say he'd seen a young man fitting the description of the killer, even down to the tattoo on his right arm. And the man had picked up two young boys at North Figueroa Street and San Fernando Road. It turned out to be nothing, and there were many more, and each of them led nowhere. By July 1st, after pursuing scores of leads, checking out pointless tips, and questioning more than 100 men, the police were no closer to finding the killer of the three girls. After chasing leads and interviewing suspects for days, investigators went in a different direction and contacted Dr. Joseph Paul DeRiver the sole police psychiatrist for the Los Angeles Police Department. While Dr. DeRiver's greatest achievements were still a decade in the future, when he became intimately involved in the infamous Black Dahlia case, he'd already earned a reputation for himself with the LAPD, screening the nuts, crackpots, and other deluded of individuals who stepped forward with a confession or a claim relating to a murder. He was also able to offer insight into both crimes and criminals, which the Inglewood detectives badly needed. Dr. DeRiver visited the crime scene and viewed the bodies in the morgue. He noted that the girls had been laid face down, their dresses pulled up, and their shoes placed side by side in a row. After considering all the evidence, he described the type of person the police should be seeking. A sadistic pedophile in his 20s who was meticulous in his appearance, religious, and remorseful. He might have a past record for annoying children or loitering where they played. The crime had been planned and the killer had known how to approach the girls without scaring them because they trusted him and he used that to his advantage. Well, as it turned out, Dr. DeRiver's description of the killer was eerily accurate. Even though he was in his early 30s and hadn't been previously arrested for bothering children, the profile was almost a perfect match for the perpetrator when he was finally arrested. Dr. DeRiver's profile of the killer in the Inglewood case was only the second case in history at that time of a criminal profile being used to try and catch a killer. The first was in the landmark profile of serial killer Jack the Ripper, which was drawn up by two London physicians in the 1880s. Their profile had failed. Dr. DeRiver's had not. Although perhaps it's not fair to say that the police caught the killer of the three murdered girls, it would be a lot more accurate to say that he caught himself. 
On the evening of July 2nd, District Attorney Burren Fitz, Captain William Penfrase of the Sheriff's Homicide Detail, and Chief Investigator Eugene Williams, along with a dozen or so other officers and detectives, were conferring in the second floor police headquarters at Englewood City Hall, when a black-haired man with darting eyes and a frantic look on his face burst into the room. The detectives knew him, but had never seen him look so out of sorts. It was Albert Dyer, the school crossing guard who had briefly been considered a suspect in the murders. His wife had provided him with an alibi and detectives moved on to other leads. Dyer had been a slightly irritating fixture in the investigation. He'd volunteered during the initial search and had made an effort to shake hands with every police officer he encountered, thanking them for their efforts being made to solve the crime. He'd been in the crowd outside with the other irate citizens yelling, lynch the son of a bitch! when he'd seen suspects being brought into the station for questioning. He'd even been photographed among the men carrying the small bodies of the victims into the morgue. Most of the officers in the room probably had one thought go through their mind when they saw him. What did he want now? But this time was different. What do you fellas want with me? He shouted at them. Why do you suspect me? Well, the group fell silent. Detective Williams finally spoke. Why don't you take a seat over there? We'll be with you shortly. Albert stalked across the room and sat down hard in a chair. He fussed and shifted back and forth, getting more agitated as Detective Williams allowed nearly 20 minutes to pass. Finally, the detective walked slowly over to where Albert was fidgeting in his chair. Now, what's this all about? He asked. Albert cried out. I want to know why you suspect me. I haven't done anything. I can prove where I was. Ask my wife. By this time, Dyer knew that the investigators had been to his home and had spoken to his wife. What he didn't know was that his wife's statement had cleared him of suspicion. Until now, Williams was a veteran detective. He knew something was seriously wrong with the situation. He knew how guilty men behaved, and no matter what Dyer's wife had told the officers, her husband was acting very strangely. But with a suspect as highly strung as this one, he knew the best way to handle him. Why, we're not looking for you, Williams assured him. You're getting all worked up over nothing. Why don't you go home and get a good night's sleep? Although still visibly upset, Albert nodded and tried to give the detective a relieved smile. It faltered on his face and then disappeared. He got up from the chair and headed for the door. Detective Williams patted him on the back. Just remember, he told him soothingly, you're okay as far as we're concerned. Well, the moment Albert left the room, Williams turned to a pair of officers, Detectives R.O. Williams and G.E. Chandler, members of the LAPD burglary detail who'd been assigned to help with the Babes of Englewood investigation, and he ordered them to follow the distraught crossing guard. Don't let him out of your sight, he ordered them as they hurried out after Albert Dyer. They followed him all day on Saturday, July 3rd, and reported back that Dyer had acted strangely all day. Something was definitely going on with him, and it gave the two detectives an edgy feeling. Williams listened to their report and instructed them to go out and get Dyer early the next morning, even if he was still in bed. Take him to the crime scene, he told them, and see how he behaves. Well, the two detectives returned to the station around 2 p.m. the following day, more convinced than ever that Albert Dyer was their man. They just couldn't prove it yet. They told Williams that when they got to the crime scene in the Baldwin Hills Ravine, he started trembling and crying. He didn't say anything, but he was clearly upset. When Detective Chandler outright accused him of being involved in the slayings, Dyer denied it. He admitted that he knew the three little girls and added that he'd developed a, quote, keen liking for them. Well, the school faculty, it turned out, had warned him twice about his behavior with the children. 
Albert admitted that he also called himself Eddie the Sailor because he liked to entertain kids at the park with fancy knot tying and other rope tricks. Well, Detective Williams had heard enough. Arrest him, he told the officers. Later that same afternoon, Albert was picked up at his home and taken to the Inglewood Station, which was surrounded by as many as 1,000 enraged men and women. He begged to be taken somewhere else. The mob would kill him, he said, and hey, I've done nothing wrong. The police smuggled the suspect to the district attorney's office in the L.A. Hall of Justice building. At the same time, his wife Isabel was also picked up and brought to the city for questioning. For the next two hours, Albert continued to protest his innocence. I like them very much, he said of the three slain girls. On that Saturday, I met them in the park about 10.30 and showed them some rope tricks. Around 12.30, I left them, though, and went home and spent all afternoon hoeing in the garden. And then he added once again, you can ask my wife. In a separate room, detectives were doing just that. At first, Isabel stuck to her original story. Finally, about 7.30 that evening, she cracked. She'd been lying, she wept. Her husband had left home at 10 a.m. and returned for lunch around noon. He left immediately afterwards and didn't return until after dark. He told her he was very tired and he went straight to bed. When he was informed of his wife's statement, Albert broke down. Oh God, he cried out, I did it. I killed all three of them. I'm so sorry. Why? Why did you do it? One of the detectives asked. Sex. No other reason, he shook his head. Just sex. It took two lengthy interrogations by District Attorney Fitz, Detective Williams, and other officers, along with a team of psychiatrists brought in to evaluate his sanity to get to the bottom of Albert Dyer's perversity and the atrocity that it drove him to commit. Although he'd enjoyed a seemingly satisfactory sex life with his wife of two years, Albert had become obsessed with the idea of sex with little girls. He became a crossing guard so he could even look at them. Even the smell of young girls drove him close to madness, he said, but Albert knew he would never have the chance to have sex with them unless he killed them. Being dead, he explained, they would not be able to resist me. About a month before the murders, the urge for a child had become irresistible, and he scouted out the ravine in the hills. A few weeks passed while he made his selection, finally choosing Janetta, Madeline, and Melba as his victims. On that fateful Saturday morning, he spotted the three of them at the park. They were sitting in the grass near the baseball diamond, and he approached them to show off his rope tricks. The girls were delighted. They knew Albert from school and believed they had nothing to fear from him. When he asked them if they wanted to go rabbit hunting, they leapt at the chance. Staying a short distance ahead of them so that if anyone saw him, they would not know he was with the children, Albert led the girls to the isolated ravine. After telling them that he could only take one of them in at a time to see the rabbits, he first led Madeline off into the bushes. The other two girls waited a short distance away. As soon as he had Madeline out of sight, Albert grabbed her and strangled her with one of the pieces of rope that he carried in his pocket. He returned to the other girls and explained that he left Madeline at a spot where she could, quote, catch the rabbits if they ran down the hill. Melba was next. She was the only one who struggled, Albert told the investigators. Please don't, she cried as he tightened the rope around her neck. But Albert paid no attention to her pleas. He killed her and then he went back for Jeanette. Albert admitted that he became more excited with each murder. At last, once they were dead, he pulled off their underclothing and, quote, fulfilled his sexual desires on each child. When the horror was over, Albert had to face what he'd done. He was a monster, but he'd learned to live with it. 
According to his statement, he arranged the shoes neatly in a row because he wanted whoever found them to think the children had been orderly to the end. He knelt beside the girls and he prayed for God to save the souls of the children and quote, save my soul and forgive me for what I have done. Albert claimed that he felt satisfied and fulfilled when he left the bodies behind in the ravine and that he had a good night's sleep, but Dr. DeRiver would have disputed this if he was still consulting on the case. Albert had left the bodies of the girls face down in the dirt so he would not have to look upon their faces. That way, they could not see his shame. Only a man under tremendous guilt would have come into the police station the way that he did and demand to know why the police suspected him. He brought the attention to himself. He wanted the police to obtain his confession. He was a monster. He tried to live with it, but he couldn't. There was nothing he knew that could save his soul. After his confession, Albert was taken to the Los Angeles County Jail. He was booked, given a shower, outfitted in regulation prison denim, and escorted to a solitary cell. As he walked down the corridor, he was yelled at and threatened by other inmates. There was no sympathy, even among rapists and murderers, for a child killer. Meanwhile, detectives were searching Albert's home and uncovered physical evidence linking him to the crime, including three links of bloodstained rope and the bone-handled pocket knife that he'd used to cut the links of line that he strangled each girl with. They also found the scrapbook that Albert had been making. It started on the days that the girls had disappeared and was filled with newspaper clippings about the search and the discovery of the bodies. He had been obsessed with the case for reasons now that seemed evident. Detectives came to believe that his behavior outside the station as a ringleader of the disorder whenever a new suspect was brought in for questioning was to divert suspicion from himself. But it's also possible he just couldn't help himself. By continually calling attention to himself, he wanted someone to notice him, someone who would ask questions and discover the horrific crime that he'd committed. Albert was arraigned on Tuesday, July 6th. As the indictments were read, he fainted in the courtroom. Deputies carried him unconscious back to his cell. Examined by psychiatrists for both the prosecution and the defense, he was found to be a sadistic degenerate, but legally sane. As he awaited trial, he paced his cell, read the Bible, and smoked an endless number of cigarettes, and was haunted by the dead. According to Dyer and witnesses among the guards and other inmates that he told, the ghosts of the three girls visited him in his cell. They spoke to him endlessly at night, he claimed, and refused to let him sleep. Was this just an attempt to resurrect the insanity defense? Was Albert Dyer truly insane, or was he really being harassed by spirits? Of course, we'll never know for sure, but Albert continued to claim that the ghosts of Jeanette, Madeline, and Melba haunted him even after he was on death row and had no legal recourse that would save him from the hangman. Albert's three-week trial began on Friday, August 6th. Over 500 would-be spectators, mostly women, came hoping for seats in a courtroom that would not hold more than 150. A special contingent of deputies was assigned to maintain order. After a lengthy jury selection, the prosecution began its case on Friday, August 13th. The state summoned several dozen witnesses who identified Dyer as the man they'd see talking to the three girls on the day they disappeared. They also saw him leading them out of the park toward the Baldwin Hills. Albert's entire 48-page confession was read into the record and gruesome morgue photographs of the slain children were shown to the jury. The jury began their deliberations on Tuesday, August 24th. Two days later, seven men and five women found Albert Dyer guilty on all three accounts 
of first-degree murder, a verdict that carried a mandatory sentence of death. On his way out of the courtroom to be transported to San Quentin for his execution, Albert turned to his wife, Isabel, and spoke. Well, I guess I'll see you in heaven, he said. Isabel must have thought that seemed unlikely. Albert spent his days on death row just as he had spent his days awaiting trial, smoking cigarettes, reading the Bible, and pacing his cell. He had little interest in prolonging his life. He didn't wait for word from the governor that his sentence had been commuted. Instead, he spent his days remembering what he had done, and he spent his nights trying to sleep. He tossed and turned, but the ghosts refused to let him close his eyes. They were angry, he told his jailers, and they hated him for what he'd done. God might forgive him for his sins, but his victims would not. They would literally haunt him to the very last moments of his life. On the morning of September 16, 1938, after a last meal of ham, eggs, pancakes, and coffee, Albert Dyer was hanged. He was the second to last person to be executed on the gallows in California before the state began using the gas chamber. It was a fitting end for a killer who strangled three little girls with a rope. If only he could have been hanged two more times. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. These well, I know, but and it's a good episode. I know it's a you know. Okay, well, of course we can make that into it. That'll be the funny part. Is yeah, that we don't want to be funny. We don't so, want to be funny. Yeah. Fun. All right. Ugh. Thanks for tuning into the American Hauntings podcast, the show where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the very, very dark side of American history. We are now in season five of the podcast, Haunted Hollywood. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me is my co-host, author, historian, crime buff, and the founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Sorry. That's yeah. all I can yeah. say is you sorry. You should apologize there isn't, for the monologue you Yeah, there read. isn't anything that I can say other than sorry for pretty much everyone involved in this episode. This is a bad one, I know. Man. It's, um, it's probably the worst. Yeah, it, actually, I, you know, uh, for those of you listening, I tried to talk Cody into uh, just like <laughs> when we finished, when the monologue was over, just reading the end and just being done because <laughs> I wasn't sure what we were going to say about this what one. What I'm not sure how much discussion there is to have. There yeah. are certainly no jokes to go along with I, this. I literally there, texted there really you and said, I think so, for the I first time, I don't have any I jokes. I don't have any jokes. I know. As so far, As far as, okay, so sort of, as far as fucked up stories that you talk about, well, we're going to get into a bunch of stuff, obviously, and upcoming events, listeners, yeah, sure. all, all the normal stuff. But yeah. as far as fucked up stories and terrible things, um, I know, for instance, like Lisa doesn't like any of the stuff with, with children and everything, right, but, right, but right. you 
go into a lot of stuff. Where would this rate on like a scale from one to ten on the weird, terrible things you've written about and talked about and all that? It's pretty high. You think? Um, yeah, this episode and the next episode are. Um, Which I still don't know what that is. Right, I know you don't, but the next episode too is also going to be awful. Mm-hmm. And these are these are pretty high on the list. Yeah, I'm trying to um, just calibrate and see. They're pretty well. Where the next one is worse actually no than this shit. one. But then we'll. I mean, none of them are good. Yeah. I mean, it's always. Well, I mean, yeah. that's the reason why we have ghost stories attached to this stuff. <laughs> people but, have to die. Yeah, because people have died in usually horrific ways. But L.A. and Southern California just has a special place you know kind of like new york does of really really horrific things Mm -hmm. not that you know there aren't things like that in other cities too but yeah you know la especially has become famous for you know how bad can it get well you know did it happen in la then it's bad you know i mean that's just that's just how it goes so yeah, this is an awful story, and it's really high on my list of awful stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I felt like that it was something worth including in this episode. Yeah, you know, or in this season. I'm well, rather, sure, yeah. yeah, in this season. So, um, yeah. A- anyway, well, let's let's talk about a couple of our housekeeping kind yeah, of things yeah, yeah. before we get too far into this episode. Um, I I wanted to plug that we just recently updated. Uh, all of our websites with ghost hunts coming up through the summer. Uh, we also updated it with uh, dinner and spirits events coming up for uh, the rest of the summer. Uh, this month, we have uh, an evening with the Lent family. We have an evening with the St. Louis Exorcism, um, which, of course, you know, heated up on, uh, you know, after that Discovery Plus thing yep. aired a couple of weeks ago. And then um, famous, we've got, man. yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, and then we've got another one of those coming up at the end of May. But then we've also got some new stuff too. In April, I've got uh, a, a brand new one, which is uh, Hell Hath No Fury, which is about women murderers and killers. Hell uh, yeah. Something I only did for a small group during Dead of Winter. So this is kind of for everybody else. Uh, I've got the one about the like sinister demonic hauntings too coming up in okay. April. Um, after that, I've got a bunch of new stuff. Um, uh, I'm going to do an evening with the Donner Party. We will not be serving human flesh <sighs> so many jokes. for okay, dinner. I know mind. there are. And uh, we're going to be doing Edgar Allan Poe evening, uh, a couple of different things that we've got coming up. So just check out the website. You can get to all of that stuff at AmericanHauntings.net. My new book is coming out uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, The Forlorn Hope, about speaking of the Donner Party. Yep. Um, that is about the Donner Party. So um, I'm starting to feel like, you know, I worked on the Donner Party book through the winter, mm-hmm. uh, through the really cold part of the winter. And now that we're getting into March, I kind of feel like, you know, Spring is getting closer, so um, we were just we. Troy I know. and I just talked about his coat. I know. For so long. I know. I, we did. We did. Well, we were talking today. I bought my first like parka that I nice owned. Coat. Yeah, I mean it is, and it's the first parka <laughs> I've owned mad in like twenty five years. That Lisa talked me into buying because. She felt it was ridiculous. I mean, even when I was living in Chicago, I did not own a coat. That's ridiculous. Um, I just own jackets. I like jackets. I I just dress in layers, man. I, I mean, right now I've got like three layers that, on. You know, I mean, that's normal. That is something. And then, so just a coat is another layer, but she sure. talked me into this big giant parka. And it is nice. when I saw you in it for It's the first nice time. when it's really cold out, but I mean, to me, cold is like below... 
10. Yeah. You know, anything above that, it's not that cold. Well, we were talking and, about how yeah. the, the coat worked so well, it worked itself out of a job because yeah, Troy's yeah. like, um, I don't need this. I'm I warm. Know. Well, because I'm warm and then I think I don't need it. So then I take it off. But it's conflicted. Yeah, it is. But, you know, um, so I just keep, you know, spring is coming. You know, we're it's going to be coming soon. And they so. keep saying we're going to have an a, above average. Of course, they said we were going to have above average February. Look how that turned out. Yeah. But they were say, they are saying an above average warm spring. How do they? You know, which I don't even know what that means. Is it the farmer's almanac? No, what, what no, this do? was the weather channel. Do? But, you know, really, I look now? at it and I think the farmer's almanac are a fucking groundhog. Right. This that, is that, how we was... forecast weather. Right. That's what I was Although, wondering. really. It's not that far off, considering that 50, 50 you shows. watch the Weather Channel and they say, oh, it's going to be this. And then you look outside and it's snowing <laughs> well, and it's not supposed to be doing anything. So you're kind of like, what the hell just happened? Well, we were just talking about how it's like, it's kind of <laughs> presumptuous for them to say it's a 0% chance <laughs> right. of this. It's like, you really right. want to take that gamble? I know, like, right? Because they have no idea what they're talking about. So anyway, um, but what, just with these things in mind, we do have good things coming. What, what out of all the new stuff you have coming up, whether it's like events or evenings with or, or books, or whatever, what, what's the thing you're most excited about that's a new thing? Um, well, and you know, I am excited. I'm, well, I'm excited about having, I'm excited about the Donner Party book, but yeah. I'm also excited about doing a bunch of new dinner things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's one of those things that is hard in some ways because... People want you to just keep doing the Exorcist. evening with the St. Louis exorcism. Mm, yeah. And it's like, you know, I don't want to keep doing that because, A, you're, you saturate the market in a way, but people still come. And then you don't know if people are going to come to the new ones, even as, as no matter how interesting they are. Sure. You don't know if people will come because they're like, oh, well, I don't really know that so well. Well, I know, but that's the reason that's kind to of come. The point, so, right? yeah. So, if you're a listener to the podcast and you live in the St. Louis area, please come. Yeah. Uh, when we do these new ones, please come because I um, want to dress in character. Finally. I know, but they're a lot of fun for me to do, and so I always like it when people will come and see something new. Like um, Edgar Allan so, Poe. That's, yeah, that's, I mean, how do you go wrong? There's yeah. some good stories there. Really There's a lot of good stuff. So. You know, um, I do have some good things coming, so hopefully, you know, people will come. And, you know, then we've got the conference at the end of July, mm -hmm. so I'm excited about that, too. And actually, as of this recording, we've only got, like, 50 seats left. Damn, all right. I know. Oh, well, I, but, I mean, we over. are combining two years, but, you know, last year, we've actually got more people signed up this year mm -hmm. than we had last year when we finally called it off well, at the end of April. eager to do something. Yeah, I think know? so, too. Yeah. So... Um, we've actually got a lot of people signed up already. So if you're thinking about coming to the conference, seriously, make your reservation because yeah. we, um, we're not going to have space. I mean, we're, we have to cut it off at some point. And, um, so if you're thinking about coming, definitely check it out. Um, AmericanHauntings.net, just go, you can find all this stuff. Yeah. Any, anything we do is on that page. Yeah. Come hang out. So, tell me a ghost story. Yeah. Exactly. Scott and I, I'm sure, will be shooting shit all day yep, just recording sure. ghost stories. I'm sure. Um, let's dive into some listener reviews here. Sure. So this first one is titled Absolutely Amazing Storytelling. It's from Mrs. Britt. said, not only do you get the historical aspect of everything, but you also get to hear various bits and bobs of other stories that people share uh, that they get to investigate. It's just amazing. And that was from Saturday. So cool. thank you so much. This last one is titled Love Listening to This. It's from Truckin' Mama. 
which, which I love. Uh, it says, I'm a truck driver and listen to this podcast while I'm driving. Funny thing is that I was just sent up to Pontoon Beach, Illinois for a weekend and went to Alton to look around uh, while on my reset. It was amazing to be in the place where this podcast all started and to see some of the sites. Keep up the great work, guys. Cool. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, Alton's nothing special if you're from here, but if you haven't seen yeah, it, you know, it's, it's cool, it's, it's cool yeah. to see. And yeah. also, I talk shit, but like, I love this town oh, so I know, much. I want to move I, I want to move back here and it makes me so upset yeah, to admit that. Have you not had much luck with that? So, okay, I'll put this out here right now. I was looking at an apartment that's above um, the old Lighthouse Sounds right by the Lincoln yeah, Douglas. Yeah, yeah. Square, sure. Um, that actually got. I didn't up even know somebody. they had an above. Yeah, well, not not. It's not. Oh, right I know. Above oh, there, no, no, but it's, no, it's I around the corner. Say, I know where it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. kind of facing the river. Yes, um, yes. I want an apartment in that area on Broadway, downtown Alton, downtown yeah. Alton Bro- Broadway area, um, preferably above something that's not a bar, if I can help it, because sure. I don't need that. Yeah. Um, but I just, I, I really want to come back home, honestly, yeah. as much as I hate yeah. to admit it. Um, I love this area. I'd love to be downtown. Yeah, um, talk so to Dave and Donna. I did. I did at. talk to oh. Dave and Donna yeah, from, from Mineral, um, yeah. and I'm, and it's raining zen. I'm looking, and I think I finally now have to like really start pulling together a spreadsheet and calling sure. places. Yeah. And, and yeah, I put yeah. some stuff out on Facebook and different things like that, but cool. I, I need to, I need to really get yeah, going I hope on that it. works out for you. Um, yeah. Cause I would love to come back here, especially because if you're like, Hey, let's record in Alton. I'm like, yeah, you live here, here. here. That'd yeah. be great. Um, or hell it's even halfway to Jacksonville compared to yeah, where I live compared now. To where you are now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so if anybody knows anything, please let me know. American Hauntings Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, help yeah. me find an apartment. Um, I don't want to do this. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we, we really we really debated on how to handle this episode. Um, this is this is like a there are I mean there I are some one. things we can talk about, but do we have to? I don't know. I'm not gonna repeat it's a lot of things. It's just so awful that I just don't know. We we wish that you know we did a lot of goofing around in our last episode and we kind of wished we could have taken part yes. of that and put it into this one, but it wouldn't have made sense. But yeah. It just, um, there's just nothing you can say about this episode. There's nothing amusing about it. That's why I changed the opening to the episode. There's yeah. just, what do you say about this? I mean, it's just, it's just so horrible. So I, I did the outline for this. So it's Saturday right now. I did the outline for this on Thursday uh, afternoon. And I've been hanging out at a buddy's house on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We work together. Oh, then yeah. We, then yeah, we work yeah, out, sure. that whole thing. He uh, went to get a haircut. You're never going back to your... Actually, you don't even have an office nope. anymore. Office You're is always gone. Always going to be home. Office is gone. Well, that's all right. You know, it, all right. it turns out a lot of meetings could have been emails. Well, that, that there whole is philosophy that. Yeah, sort absolutely. Of thing. There is that whole thing. You don't need a physical space unless you're doing, you know, sure. in-person events. Sure. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he uh, goes, gets a haircut, comes back. I'm working on this outline, and he looks at me. And he's like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> and I was like, "No." And he said, "Why?" No. And I said, "All right." Let me tell you a story. June 26, yeah. 1937. I said, these three little girls go missing, ages seven, eight, and nine. They're discovered by Boy Scouts. They've been raped and strangled. And, and actually, I reversed that. Strangled and then raped. Then raped. Right? Jesus yeah. fucking Christ. I know, right? Because it can get worse. Yeah. Get I, worse. I don't know. It's all bad. It doesn't matter what order you put it in. It's awful. <laughs> the so. perps of volunteer policemen who serve as a crossing guard at their elementary school. But it's going to yeah. take a long time to get there right. and figure and that out. that's... You know, that's probably one of the most disturbing aspects once you get inside this guy's head, once he starts confessing and you find out that he took this job to be a crossing guard because so he wants to be about little, around little girls. Yeah. I mean, does it get any creepier than that? I don't think it does. So so calculated and, and everything 
planned out, which is why it blows my mind that he kind of like freaks out. Like, you know exactly what you're. Oh, he knew. Doing. Well, he wanted it. I mean, and I I tried to infer that with you know that the thought behind this is that he definitely wanted to be caught. Right. He had to have wanted to get caught. Yeah, and that's another know. thing. We talked about it last time, too. Like, if there's any, you know, if there's anybody that, uh, what was it, writes to inmates or whatever, but oh, we're talking about psychology yeah. and stuff, too. I'm, I'm very curious about why I, I why do these people want to get caught? I kind of get it, but I kind of don't. It's guilt. I is mean, it? they do the things that they do because they claim that they can't help themselves. Mm -hmm. And then, but they want to be punished for what they've done. Mm. And, uh, you know, for him to tell, you know, he told the cops that, oh, I loved every minute of it. Well, obviously he didn't because sure. a psychologist would tell you that the reason that the girls were face down is because he couldn't have them looking, looking at, at his him. face, yeah. you know, and yeah. that... You know, obviously he wanted to be caught. He was out there putting on a show for everybody, you know, yeah. yelling about right. stuff and, you know, yelling about string them up, string them up, string up the son of the bitch, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, the guy wanted to be caught. I mean, he was daring someone to get him. And eventually when the police just, I mean, and I'm not even going to say they were, in. I know, I'm not even going to say they were doing bad police work. They were doing what they could for the time period. You know, they were doing everything they could do. And when they didn't catch him fast enough, he just made sure that they caught him by coming in and going, why are you bothering me? I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Yeah. I mean, you know, it took those guys about three seconds to realize this guy's not innocent. Sure. The only reason he's in here is because he's guilty. So let's just follow him. He's going to fuck up, which, right. of course, he did. Well, you know, I love so. the way you, you kind of spelled it all out, too, where it's just like they're they're following all these leads. This guy already has an alibi. They checked him out, yeah. whatever. And then he walks in, and they're kind of like, okay, we can't really fucking deal with you right now. Yeah, but because then, he's but he's annoying. A, but he's a little suspicious. Know? They let yeah. him chill for a second. And then once they start talking to him, then immediately, I just imagine them like smoking cigarettes, just being like, you know what, buddy? It's okay. How, how about you go? You're cool. Right, like, right. Follow this motherfucker. Uh -huh, like, yeah. and then, you know, they finally have a break. Yeah, so that we can, I mean, we can't prove it by what he's saying right now, but. Give it five minutes and right. we'll be able to. And by right. the next day, they're ready to haul him in, you know, because they already knew something was up. It's so bizarre. And so somebody that does something this, I mean, this messed up, um, I mean, do, do you know anything about his younger years? And no, not really. I've, I, um, there, if there's information out there, I haven't really found it. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I have, only written about this story like the one time and I, you know, I had done some research into it and followed the newspaper reports and things, but yeah. I, I don't know what his past history is. Uh, there's gotta be something there. Sure. Uh, but I've, I've never run across anything that really explains what his mindset was. Mm -hmm. I mean, other than he's just creepily fucked up. Right. I mean, I think that's a given, but I guess the weird thing about it is, you know, he's been married, you know, he's he married to wife. his wife for, you know, they'd only been married like two years. She'd had a couple of miscarriages, so they had lost uh, two babies already. Yeah. But this guy obviously had a kink somewhere that he had a thing for little girls yeah. and obsessed about it. I mean, took a job as a crossing guard just to be around little girls right. and had been warned several times by the school that he was getting too familiar with little girls. Yeah. I mean, and this was in the thirties. Right, right. Imagine how would the, you the wouldn't flags, be warned now. <laughs> no, the red flags that would have went up about this creep now, yeah. you know, and that was in the thirties. And, you know, here was a guy hanging around the park, 
as you know, Catching Eddie the rabbit. Sailor, or, you know, yeah. showing people rope tricks. I mean, what the fuck? That's like a John Wayne Gacy thing. The, the, the you know, rope me, trick. I mean, me Gacy used to yeah, bring these young boys home and go, "Hey, let me show you how to get out of handcuffs." Right. I mean, are you kidding me with right. this? Fuck. You know, and this is what this guy was doing with rope tricks and stuff, and people just weren't. I mean, it was the '30s, man. You just weren't. I mean. You know, I don't want to believe as someone who's writing about historical crimes, you know, that I always tell people, listen, the good old days were never good. (laughs) Sure. These people have been among us. These monsters have been among us since the beginning of recorded time. It's just that now we pay attention to them. And uh, but in the 30s, I mean, there were just as many pedophiles and perverts and freaks and deviants as there are now Mm -hmm. it's just that they didn't have a platform the way that they do today that's what my my friend actually asked me he's a he's a lawyer and he said when did this happen i said 37 and he goes people have been fucked up for that long yes i said said, much longer i was like you have no idea no idea and he's a he's a lawyer he sees right the worst people all the time right and you see them now and we see them on a regular basis because people know what to watch for but in the 1930s you know joe public had no idea to look for this stuff yeah school officials told this guy to stop being you know pals with little girls but Nobody, I, they probably weren't thinking, well, he's going to rape and kill little girls. Yeah. They just think he's being creepy, you know. Um, but this guy went beyond creepy, you know, obviously. Yeah. I mean, he decided that the only way that he could have sex with little girls is if he killed them first because that way they couldn't resist. Right. I mean, you are completely beyond redemption at that point. Sure. There's just nothing... There's no way that you're, and that's that mindset will never change. There's no oh, yeah. reform for somebody like that. Don't don't at me at this yeah. because I'm telling you, I don't care what you tell me. I'm never gonna be convinced that yeah. someone like this can be reformed. You right. cannot. Well, he's, you he's can't. also he's not insane. He knew what no, he, he was knew doing. exactly what he, he was, was calculated. Doing. He is and, yeah yeah. So I agree he's with what a you're monster. Saying. He is period. That uh, that kind of person mm. is a monster. There is no, there's n- nothing you could ever tell me would convince me otherwise yeah. that someone like this can be changed or redeemed. Uh, this is the kind of person that, in my opinion, I'm not saying you should kill them, although it might cross my mind. Mm-hmm. But these people, anybody who in the, like this guy, should be locked away from the rest of humanity sure and kept separate from the rest of us because there's no way to cure this yeah um i'm sorry if this offends anyone uh with my statements i'm not some kind of weird right wing you know (laughs) kill everybody you know kind of thing but someone like this is unredeemable yeah as far as i'm concerned yeah hey if someone has a stance you're not going to change against this opinion i'd be very interested Uh, to hear how no i really don't want to hear from you if you don't if you've got if you're against that opinion i really don't need to hear from you because you've got something wrong with you i like them to out themselves publicly Um, okay well okay i can see what you're saying so you talk about police finally called psychiatrist dr joseph paul uh River, river, yeah, okay. and and listen, this guy he's gonna sounds come back like later. a hero in this episode, but sure, he'll be back. Right, um, he's gonna be back in another season of the podcast, and 
This guy's a quack. As it turns out. I thought he was going to be a good. Well, he is in the beginning, Uh but he will prove himself to be a quack later on. Well, what the heck? Well, he's a psychiatrist. You know those people are crazier than the rest of us. I mean, that's why they do what they do. I guess so. So I, and I, I will apologize in advance to anyone who is a psychiatrist or psychologist yeah. out there, but you've probably got some screws loose because well, a, I don't find very many of you that are that sane. I, I'm really going to, I should really shut up a little no, bit, that, shouldn't that, I? It's funny because my well, my degree, my undergrad was psychology, and so like the smart people would always be like, "Oh, so what's wrong with you?" Because <laughs> it's like you're trying to fix yourself. Exactly like, right. Like, hey, you know what? You're right. But at least you. I know what's wrong. Yeah, with me. at least so, I know there's. Yeah. yeah, at least I know there's something wrong with yeah, me. Jeez. Um, okay. Well, let's. I just want. I want to dive into this a, just a little bit more sure, about because yeah, yeah. I'm very curious about how this all goes down. So July second. Um, if a ton of suspects with, you know, tattoos that kind of match the description, things like that, a lot of them have yeah, alibis. Yeah, I mean, and tattoos were not common in the yeah, 30s. Yeah, I guess I didn't, I didn't the, thought about yeah, that. Yeah, right. I mean, the only people that had tattoos back then usually were sailors. Sure. I mean, that's, I mean, you know, that's, um, this is the 1930s, 1940s. This is the Sailor Jerry type mm-hmm. Navy tattoos. I mean, most people did not have tattoos back then. Yeah. So that made him an uncommon you know, um, suspect, you know, the fact that he had tattoos. I mean, you saw that. I know, but you you saw more of that in, in like Los Angeles because there's a lot of, there's naval ships. There's a lot of ships coming in that are not part of the military. You've got a lot of merchant Marines. You've got a lot of people who are just, you know, shipping out on, you know, but that was the common way of transporting goods at the time. Sure. So you had, you know, Long Beach and San Pedro and that whole area down there. So you had a lot of people with tattoos. So mm-hmm. broadcasting that your suspect had a tattoo in Southern California at the time didn't narrow it down as much as it would have, say, anywhere in else. Chicago or yeah. St. Louis yeah. or anywhere else. You're right. Right. Uh, but it I was still fairly that. uncommon, you know, at the time. Yeah. Well, hell, it's like, okay, if you've one of those identifying marks, yeah. you know, maybe, yeah. Yeah. maybe cover it up. Yeah. Today, if you said, oh, he's got a tattoo, well, that's not going to narrow it down. Right. But right. Right. Back right. Then it did. Um, so you said, so, so they tail him, obviously, as soon as he leaves. Eventually, they take him to the crime scene to see how he behaves. Starts trembling, crying, freaking out. So this... this That was something the cops used to do a lot. Oh, yeah. I found I, in I my historical, you know, digging up through historical crimes, that was something that they would often do yeah. to try to break down a suspect. Because back then, when there was no Miranda warnings, there was nothing that <laughs> oh, yeah. said oh, you yeah. could just beat the shit out of somebody that to get book. a confession <laughs> out of them. Right. The rubber hose thing, right. you know. Um, and you could grill them for four days straight without sleep. And, yeah. You know, there were no rules about that kind of stuff. So they would drag these guys out to the crime crime scene just to see what they would do and some of them like this dupe would just break down and fall apart and some of them would get off on it you know Uh, but all of those things were assigned to these you know especially these veteran detectives you know and every time i you know i think of cops in the 30s and 40s in la i always you know picture these guys from old black and white movies yeah. you know um because they're the you know the badasses with the hats and the trench coats and the cigarettes <laughs> Mad and Men you know they were yeah they were you know out of right out of a crime noir book or a, a you know or a movie yeah and they you know weren't opposed to putting the bright light in your face and grilling you and rolling up a phone book and whacking you with it and stuff. And, you know, that's what I picture. And that's what I picture with a lot of these guys. And I know that I tend to, you know, 
glamorize that whole in a lot of my writings i glamorize those guys but they were just as dirty as a lot of other cops were i mean you know la was you know the lapd was so corrupt in the 1930s and 40s but you know usually that corruption had to do with mob guys and stuff it had nothing to do right it had nothing to do with you know perverts and child murderers because sure. these guys had no tolerance for that kind right. of thing. Even the inmates didn't. I mean, that was the whole point. <laughs> this guy still was first today. was afraid that everybody in Englewood was going to kill him. And then when they took him to jail, if anybody could have got their hands on him, and that's something that holds up till today. Right, right. I mean, guys will tell you that have done any kind of time. They'll tell you that child murderers. It's so weird. Too. Don't, like, don't get me well, wrong. I it's get like it, a code. It's like a, it's like a code of honor. Kind of well, thing. It's the the difference is is that these guys, while they might have committed murder or sold drugs or whatever they did to end up in prison, ninety nine percent of them have kids. Uh, yeah, you know, and it may point. be by multiple people and multiple kids, but they all have kids, uh, and they don't tolerate kitty diddlers yeah. in prison. I mean, that's just a thing they don't do. Sure. Inmates, I mean, those guys usually have to be kept separate from the general right. population Jared because they way. will kill you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, I mean, that's, that's been a thing forever. And, um, and obviously it was going on in the thirties and probably before that. Right. Well, this is what baffles me. So they take, you said they take him to the crime scene and he starts trembling, crying and like freaking out. So they arrest him. So that, that really makes me even more curious about like what, had he done before this like i can't imagine he had done nothing or never acted on any urges and then he just broke and you know what though that's a no you know what i'm not sure that you're correct on that um i think this might have been you know you think this was nine times out of ten um it's his first murder sure now whether it was his first offense whether or not he hasn't been or i i'm gonna say there's a really good chance mm-hmm. that this built up where there were other things involved but we not, don't not know murder, we though. know so little about his background mm-hmm. we really don't know that much but i would say there are probably this is a guess now sure. this is just kind of based on sure you know working on this kind of stuff for years i would say based on what happened that he built up to this that there was some uh, probably some kids that were molested yeah, in the yeah. past, yep. um, even dating back to when he was a kid, like 13, 14 years right, old right. with a younger kid. I'm going to say he's maybe not ever raped a child, but probably molested some mm-hmm. because this is like a build up thing. This is where you explode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, you know, took this job as a crossing guard so he could be around little girls and then this is not something that all of the sudden that you've done nothing else ever. Uh, I'm going to see never probably committed a murder and he probably never raped a child. Right. But the fact that and he, went he three right murdered three girls and yeah. raped all three of them tells me that this was something that he built up to. Yeah. This was the explosion of what it was that was in his brain. Mm-hmm. And then he just completely fell apart. So he had like, I like, mean, like he the... deteriorated so rapidly after doing it yeah. that he knew that at this point he would never do anything like this again. Yeah. I don't think he would have, um, but he wanted to be caught to mm-hmm. make sure that he never did anything like this. Again. Yeah, I guess when you when you put it that way, it probably makes sense. He almost went. He almost went like immediately into his like berserker mode sure. sort of thing. Right. I mean, this is gate. like this is like when you look at a serial killer who starts out as, you know, 
killing and mutilating animals. Yeah. And then he might hurt another child. Maybe he doesn't kill them, but he hurts one. And yeah. then eventually he commits his first murder. And then the space between the murders gets shorter and sure. shorter as time goes on until finally, you know, in a, you know, in a kind of a mad kind of spree, well, the several of them together, it, and yeah. then they get caught. Right. Um, well, it was like Ted Bundy when he escapes from prison. Yes. Goes yes. Down to Florida. Of course, he goes bananas after that and kills right. as many as he can because right. he knows he's going to get caught again at some point. Yeah. And, you know, this, this is just what this he guy does. right out of the gate. Almost. Yeah. Nine times out of 10, those kind of sprees don't go on for years and years. There are rare exceptions. Yeah. But for the most part, I mean, BTK went on for a long time. I mean, Bundy did technically, but, you know, he was caught, he was in jail, he got back out, yeah. committed more murders. But a lot of these, you know, these murder cases, that's why, you know, we did an entire season on the Velisca murders, which I say Velisca murders, and what I really mean by that is that spree <laughs> of, of, murder, of yeah. murders. And, you know, several of them happen very close together, and then that was it. Yeah. No more. Because he... Didn't get caught, but somewhere he got tripped up. Right. And, you know, ended up in prison or dead or in an insane asylum or something because he finally lost his shit after Velisca. You know, so I think that that's that's a pretty common thing when it comes to that kind of stuff. And I think that this guy, you know, this was a case worth talking about because it's not well known and because he swore that these girls were haunting him. In his jail cell. I mean, this was. I mean, this was in the newspapers. Yeah. I mean, he really swore this was the truth, and I can't say one way or the other. I mean, it could have certainly been a product of his own, you know, messed up head. But you know, I think that this guy had to be caught because I don't think he would have done this again. Yeah. Because this was the culmination of all of his, you know, fucked up and sure, sure, <laughs> That's yeah. A yeah. Word. No, no, it's not a word, but you know what I mean. No, I get it. Yeah, and I think when those guys do that kind of shit and go and they're like berserker mode stuff and and just go one after another after another, I feel like they are just as surprised as everybody else. Probably that they haven't been getting caught. Right, that they haven't like, gotten caught. Yeah, let's so just keep going. So catch me. You know, yeah. here I'm going to do this. So catch me. Right, and you know. so I do. Is it weird to say I love that he was haunted by these? I do girls, too. You know? I do too, and I I, I I point that I out know. a couple times. I feel like he got what he deserved. Um, if he really, if these these ghosts and whether he just believed they were there or they were really there, he deserved it. And yeah. that's why in the final line I say, you know, they hung him, but it's too bad they couldn't have hung him two, two more, more times, times. To, for all three girls because this is a horrible story. I haven't listened to this monologue yet, but I did put that at the end of this that I loved your final two lines yeah, for this. That's um, I, could hear you I mean, that's exactly how I feel about it, and I wish that they could have killed him three times over. Yeah. Yeah, well, he made sure to pray for forgiveness for what he had done. Uh, he wanted to get caught in a weird way like a lot of killers do. We've kind of talked about that a yeah, little bit. But there, I'm, I'm there's more there's no God that would forgive this. I, I don't would, care. I would hope what, not. I don't care what you believe. Um, you know, I say that maybe God did. I don't believe it. Uh, if yeah. there is a God, I, I don't, don't, I don't believe there's a God that would, <laughs> that would forgive this. I don't want to hang out with I him just if he forgives this I shit. I can't see it. So, yes, um, no, I totally agree. Uh, jury only deliberated for two days. I'm surprised it took him that long, but maybe well, I a think lot that to go was through. probably, yeah, some things to go to deal with there. Yes. Yeah. And on his way out, he told his wife, well, I guess I'll see you in heaven <laughs> mm, again. How he, would you like to be her? 
Fuck. Well, yeah, See, that's the thing. Well, she okay. Why? Why did she lie for him then? Well, because or... I just I think that at that point she couldn't believe that he would have done it. Uh huh. Um, I think that he probably, obviously, she was naive. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and probably believed when he told her that, hey, listen, I'm being accused of this, and I didn't do anything wrong. They're just saying that because. You know, I've I've been trying to help, and it you know it maybe it makes me look bad or yeah. something. You know, I mean, there's a million excuses, and you know, it's worked on so many spouses over the years. Well, you don't want to you know, believe with it. these kinds of cases. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to believe it because they're a young couple. They've only been married for two years and had a seemingly normal life. Well, obviously, he had an inner life that she knew nothing about. Although, I mean. Well, she just probably ignored ignore the signs. Yeah, but would yeah, because wouldn't you have wondered this guy's keeping a, a scrapbook? That's what of like these cuts even, and she's helping him. That's keep what it. cuts even more deep. Is like yeah, helps her make or she helps but him make the what, scrapbook. Though, but here's a guy who's been involved in every single aspect of this investigation, from the volunteering for the search to yeah. going down to the police station and you know shaking the hands of all the every cops cop. involved, and thanking them for their yeah. help. And maybe she just wants to believe that he just is so concerned. Sure. Because he wants to be a family man. Right. You know, and so he's so worried he doesn't want something like that to happen to his kids someday. Right. I mean, there's a million things that you could say well, about this. The lady but, doth protest too much kind well, of thing. Well, and I think yeah. that, yeah, but I also think that people like this, this guy's obviously... You know, yes, he's never done anything like this before, but he's had to have been thinking about it his entire life. Of course. So, which makes him very manipulative. Mm. And so he has found people like this seek out mm-hmm. people they can manipulate yeah. and people that can, they can put under their control. And remember, this is the 1930s. Things were different then. Sure. And, you know, she was a housewife and yeah. she stayed at home. And, I'm sure that there were ways that he manipulated her into believing that, you know, if the police come around asking questions, well, you know, they're just doing their job. They have to. They're asking about everybody. Right. And so she's willing to lie for him, but only for so long. Sure. But on the other hand, she keeps coming to court. You know, and I, so I don't, you know, what do you think? I don't know. What the do human you know? condition is conflicting. Yeah, I guess you know? it is. People know. are strange. You know, it's just, we can't know what's in other people's heads. And yeah. uh, I Which mean, I terrifying. feel, I feel bad for her. You yeah, know, I do. I feel bad for her. But on the other hand, what are you thinking? I, you know? I still feel bad for her. You want to, yeah. you want to wish the best and yeah. people. And well, not for him. But no, well, not her. for him, sure. Definitely but for her. I would be curious, like, this is getting really, really deep into it, but, like, did they have a normal sex life? Well, apparently, you know, like, I mean, that, that's, that's that's everything that I've ever found has, has made a notation a seemingly normal sex life. Right. I mean, Which they've would, had, whatever, but she's sure, had okay. two miscarriages. So, yeah. I mean, obviously, they were having sex. Yeah. Uh, but I just don't know. I, but, what are the red flags in? Uh, yeah, there are have there to be some, red flags there have somewhere, to be, right? You would think. Yeah, I don't know. Well, he kept putting this rope around my neck. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. I, well, I, I didn't ask him to. And I'm not even sure it's that. I'm not even no, sure it was the that, strangling thing. It's the little girl thing. Yeah, I mean, I and just, that's. Yeah, that's fucked up. I mean, the strangling thing, at least you can look at it as a kink. And yeah. If people are into it, consenting adults, whatever. But I'm down. Kids, yeah, 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 there's no excuse for no. that. You know, um, so God. I don't know, man. It's, um, 
I don't listen to awful story. And there's there's not I don't like it. There's no way to dig out from this one. There just isn't. All you can do is look at it. We can talk about it. Yep. We can pick it apart. We can answer questions that we think that people might have, but we can ask questions too. Right. But there's right. But there's there's no way to we're not going to feel better. There's no good spin to put on this. <laughs> no. I mean, I haven't made hardly you know, any jokes. No, well, there isn't. It's nothing yeah, to fucking say. to be made. You know, at least, you know, we looked at, like, say our last episode, we've got this guy who's taking pictures of girls out in the desert and murdering them. But on the other hand, we've got this girl who beats the shit out of him. Right, bites him. It's got a great spin to it. Yeah. Everybody got caught in our last episode. And yes, this guy gets caught, but at the cost of three little girls. Yeah. I mean, there's just... I mean, little girls. These yeah, are not. Seven, I mean, eight, nine. yeah, this is not. It's not good. No, nope. you know, it's just. I mean, this is awful. And the next episode is awful God too. And then and I'll try to get us into yet. something a little funkier after that. But this next episode is is just as awful. Yeah. And um, yeah, cool. it just is. So, um, but you know, while there isn't, there aren't many happy endings in our Hollywood episodes. Sure. Um, at least we can get onto something a little different. But we've got to get through one more all awful right. one. Well, I apologize, it's but it's right. gonna happen. We'll get through it. Just so you know, well, it's gonna happen. Well, this man's finally hanged on September sixteenth, nineteen thirty-eight, which is sort of what, yeah. Interesting what, what, that we've had the first the and or the last and the, the second, second to last yeah. yes. people in our last two episodes that were hanged before they started oh. using the gas chamber. How would you want to go if you had to choose? You think if I had to choose I'm between de- being de- hanged, I'm, no, I'm, I'm gonna go. Row. Okay, I'm gonna go way against hanged. Well, yeah, uh, that would be awful. What the firing um, squad? Yeah, I don't know, man, because. I've seen too many times in, you know, in all the things I've done over the years of guys getting shot five and six times and not dying. So, I mean, there's no guarantee with the firing squad because they're just going to keep shooting you. Don't they Um, only have certain people that actually have real bullets, though, so people don't know who's actually killing people? Yeah, but that's not a good thing. So it's one bullet. What if just one bullet hits you and you're still alive? I didn't know how much you knew about this. I'm curious to pick your brain. Well, I I think that, I mean, I think that that, I don't know if that's accurate. Or I don't. Not. I don't know. I've heard I, that. I can't I imagine I don't know. that it is, but probably not. Maybe not everyone has live bullets. I, I really don't know on if that. If you're one. a person who's moved moved up in enough in the ranks to kill somebody, wouldn't you? Can you tell the difference between firing a live round yeah, versus I don't a know. blank? That's a good question. You know, so. I, I don't, how's yeah, that, how I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know that there's a good way. No, hell no. I mean, I don't know lethal injections. They say you just go to sleep, but then I've also heard that it's, it's like extremely horrific painful. pain before you do. Right. I I don't know. I, I'm going to pass. I mean, after watching the Green Mile, I know I wouldn't want to go in the electric oh, chair. you got to wet that sponge. Especially, yeah, especially if you're, a per, you know, um, you got Percy running the thing for you. Yeah. You're Edward Delacroix. I don't think you you don't want to be him no. um, or John Coffee for that matter. Um, so I'm not really sure that there is a good way. Sure. Um, old age is that a is that a in uh, your in your sleep? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Old. I don't even know about that. What do you? Okay. What do you? I don't mean know. I don't know what would be better. Would you I mean, be walking with a cane and just sleep? Over? I mean, I guess it would be peaceful, but. Well, then what did you mean by old age? Well, I don't know. Drop dead during a game of shuffleboard? I like, guess, what are you talking but about? I just, I don't know. I think I'd rather know. I mean, if you go to sleep, you're just going to go to sleep one night and not wake up. And it seems like, I mean, I guess that's a, a bonus to forever. some people. To me, that seems like, 
But 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 you want to know I still, you're dying. I still I had something left to do. You think you want you? I don't know. know. I'm always dying? gonna have something left to do. So I don't finish business. Yeah, I'm gonna have a book that I didn't finish. So that's my that's my plan is to be never. I want to be a ghost. I mean, I want to come back and haunt people. So maybe if I just always have a book half done, uh huh, I will have to stay behind. What if you are okay? So this is the TV show idea. I'm sure it's been done. But you're the ghostwriter. <laughs> you writes through someone to finish your book, awesome. and that's your. Unfinished that's, business. That's Pearl Curran. That was our St. Louis episode. I could write through a Dude, that is right? one of the episodes so. I tell people all the time to listen to that. I'm like, apologize for the audio, but that is still yeah, that probably great. the oh, most that was probably a little story. better one than... I think we were well, getting yeah, yeah. further along. We were getting better, but wasn't as bad. That is still the one story where people are like, okay, well, they're like, oh, you don't believe in Convince ghosts or whatever? Me. And I'm like, here's the one that I'm like, I, I, I don't got nothing. know. I got nothing. I got nothing. Yeah. That's a crazy I story. Yeah, Pearl, I think it's... Her birthday was just this past week, because I just posted about that. And we didn't, I didn't celebrate. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's, what is it, season two? I think it might just be called The Curious Case St. of Pearl Louis Curran episode, or something. Yeah. yeah, go check it out. It's Patience dope. Worth or Pearl yes. Curran, one or the other. And I made it, I made, I think the first time I ever made a joke that made you laugh, I said I would have <laughs> taken her on the road and I had I would have had a show called Testing My Patience. <laughs> yeah. And you actually liked that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, man. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't have You don't a, know how you want to die? Okay. I don't have enough. a good one. I just... Um, well, I mean, I don't want to. That's <laughs> well, the thing. I don't want to die. You're probably so stubborn enough you choose, fucking won't. You know, so I don't know. You'll outlive I no us idea. all. I have no idea. Uh, well, geez. you know, my thing was I wanted to live to be 114. I don't know how I came up with that number. Yeah. Uh, but I just saw like a nun. You Did you said, see that the other day? Uh, yeah. There was a nun who just survived COVID. She's right. 117. She's like the second and oldest person. And she survived like the Spanish influenza and, you know, and COVID. And she's 117 years old. And I thought... Yeah, but if you've got to be like a nun, a nun. or a monk or something, that's not going to work for me. No, hell no. But, um, you know, um, I mean, I thought, wow, she's only three years older than my goal. That's, so, you don't know where the 114 came from? I don't from? know where it came from. I just I, I've picked heard you it say out of the blue times. before, and I just decided that's my goal. You were also I'm talk- never going to make it, but, you know, it's there. Well, it's so. nice to have goals. Yeah. Um, you were also talking earlier about being cold and all that sort of stuff. It doesn't really bother me. Well, it made me wonder, when was the last time you didn't have facial hair or didn't have a beard like you have now? Well, you know, I've had scruff for a really long time. And in the 90s, I had a goatee. (laughs) I've seen pictures. Yeah, scary. Of the real Uh, Troy Taylor. I've had scruff for a while, but I think I've had like an actual beard for probably the last five years or so. So it's like, I feel like you just don't get cold because that's the only place I get cold now is my face. Yeah, maybe maybe that's the secret. I don't know what it is, but no, I just don't really get cold, so... I, uh, this buying this, I mean, I'm about to die in this room. I don't know how hot it is in here, but I've I got feel great, a couple but of I run, layers I run cold. and, you know, at least it would be cold in here right now. Yeah. But, um, so I'm just always warm. And so uh, I just have always just dressed in layers. And so buying this coat was a real step for me. <laughs> and it's probably, as soon as the, the temperature gets up like to 30, uh, yeah. it'll probably get like mothballed until next oh, year boy. or something. But Real kick in the beard. But it was worth it, you know. Uh, it's hey. a nice looking coat. Yeah, it's a nice coat, I guess. But uh, All right. Well, we parka. it is now time live for... Live in Alaska. It's now so. time for our Ghost Rider segment. If you have a question or comment about the world of macabre, you can email us at AmericanHauntingsPodcast at gmail.com. This first... Email is titled Spanish Horror Movies, which I think you will like. Which I love. I know as you, you know. So. This is from um, Gonzalo, and it says, "Hi guys, I finished listening to our favorite 2020 horror movies podcast. I've seen yeah, many of the I movies. Had several of them 
on that list. Right. I've seen uh, many of the movies you mentioned and already watched some because of your recommendations. For instance, Underwater and um, what was it? Malasana 32? The 32 Malasana Street. Yeah, yeah, that one. Love that movie. Um, At at one point, you mentioned the Spanish horror movies. To my surprise, you mentioned one of my all-time favorite horror movies, The Orphanage. Oh, yeah. You cannot go wrong with that movie. You went on the name of a few other Spanish ones, but the one you did not mention and I highly recommend is Veronica. Oh, yeah. That's good, too. I like that. Yeah, that's a good one. So yeah, That's a good one. That was on... It's on Netflix. Okay. If anybody wants to watch it, it's it's a Ouija board story about a demon kind of... Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Oh, and you said Based on a true story. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a great movie. Yeah. It was... I don't think it's been... I think it came out before we started doing our year-end lists. Gotcha. And I think that's why. But yeah, I love that one. Okay. It's great. No, it's good to know. It said, side note, completely unrelated to horror um, or movies. The movie features uh, good music from a Spanish rock artist named... Bunbury, I believe. The main character in the movie has posters in her bedroom where shirts of the artist is playing their music yeah, on check a it Walkman. Out. Um, a Walkman, very nostalgic. Said. Um, anyway, back to horror movies. Since you mentioned uh, liking for Spanish horror movies, I'm almost positive you would enjoy Veronica. Thanks. Yeah, love um, that movie. That's awesome. Yeah, thank, yeah, thanks for the suggestion. I'll have to check that out. Um, this is the the last one we have right here. So it uh, says, The Limps brought me the podcast... Um, the podcast brought me back for more. This is from Christina. Said, a lot late to the game, but you know the saying, better late than never. Uh, I have been binge listening since last month, and I'm currently on season four, episode four. What is this? Bunbury. Okay. <laughs> I can only play a few seconds so on a podcast. But Fair enough. Well, that's true. I don't want to get any This is like their friendship. top... I'm going to check that out. You like that? Yeah, I love Spanish stuff. That's going to be great. So All right. Thank, thank you for uh, for sending that in. Seriously. Um, I was introduced to the podcast because of the Limp family, as we were talking about, and wanted to learn more about the family in a Facebook group, and someone sent us the podcast. Oh, that's great. Oh, awesome. Um, I would have written a review, but I have an Android and can't log into iTunes yeah, to do that. Yeah, I know. This shit happens. I get I it. I know. Um, yeah. Anyway, I want to say I appreciate the history and the banter. I know that in a previous comment, someone said that they don't like the banter. But I don't, I, we don't care. But I feel it gives so, the podcast <laughs> yeah, character, she yeah, says. Yeah. There I you mean, go. The introduction that Troy gives <laughs> she is... She gets fun- it. Yeah, he gets it. Introduction she, that, he, that Troy sure. gives is phenomenal, but the banter makes the show. Um, thanks for the podcast helped me get through the past month and a half of the pandemic and we are also going to the event scheduled on february 20th so i'm pretty oh, excited awesome for okay that. great that's great. awesome yeah um, well ha- which has already happened by the time this episode airs. yes um <laughs> yeah. so so we, hope- obviously we're recording it before everybody knows how this works so, so. If, if you meet a christina um i hope that yeah, yes you have a good yes. time so p.s cody i'm from uh wisconsin uh what's up with what what is this giving up alcohol for a month or a period of time yeah, that's see that's unheard the dumbest thing i know <laughs> yeah, he always does this every year. I, you I, didn't do it this year, did you? I did. Oh, in January? Yep. Did you? I like to be in complete control. Oh, you know, I don't com- think we complete control of got, my addiction. Oh, we didn't get together in January. You had COVID. Yep. Well, fuck, I guess you probably did give up alcohol. That made it you really easy. You couldn't taste it. Made it re- <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing. I think it actually, okay. <laughs> I even think now, about that. I actually lied now. One of the things I did do when I had COVID to see if I could taste, I took a shot. Oh, okay. Um, and I see. and I couldn't taste. Yeah. Anything. So yeah, just so, so that worked damn. out well this year. I forgot that you always did that. I do, so, and I'll do yeah, it again in know, September. I'm Irish. We don't give up alcohol. Hey, I so. have to show unless that, we have to. <laughs> for well, a twelve right. step program. Exactly. I have so. to show that I'm in control of my demons um, <laughs> twice a year. 
Um, anyway, so yeah, thanks for writing in American Hauntings Podcast at gmail.com. We appreciate all the notes um, and questions yeah. and comments. It's great. Yeah, and thank you for the suggestion. On, yeah. Well, and Veronica, which I had seen, and I, yeah, but I'm I'll really glad maybe that'll introduce it to other people. Yeah. Because that is a good movie. I, in fact, I just I rewatched it during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, I ran across it again, and I thought I haven't seen this for a while. And decided to watch it again, but I'm also going to check out this artist because what little I heard, I already right. liked, so I'm already jazzed about there it. There you so go. That's great. Uh, we also have a couple new um, subscribers on Patreon, so I want to give shout-outs to Holly, Janine, April, Taylor, Glenn, James, Jenny, and Betty. Thank you very much for, yeah. for subscribing yeah, to the show. Thank you it very much. It sound so. a lot better. You want to take us out? Yeah, yeah. Guys, thank you very much. Um, I know this was a grim episode, and I know I have been promising another grim episode um, next time, but um, I I was going to say it'll get better after that, but let's be honest, it's not going to, but at least it won't be... I think this is our last murdered kids episode. The but next, the next one. oh, the next one. No, our next one will be the last murdered children episode, See, and then I we'll hate- get into... Murdered adults, I guess. Well, but that, why is that at least somehow it's, better? Uh, well, I don't know if it's better. It makes it's me just, feel better, though. Yeah, you don't feel as bad because you they figure... They live life? Right. What, or you figure that it's an adult, they probably did something that, you know, that they deserved it. <laughs> I, not necessarily, is, but you know I, what I, I mean. I totally get um, it. And I... I Hate kids. I lo- my one of my favorite Instagram accounts is kids getting hurt. I I, I, I don't give a <laughs> oh, fuck about great. kids. I watch them fall down. I all know. Day. I know. Creepy, but, but these this makes I know. me so it's really sad. sad. And so for sad. Our, in our live episode that everybody probably listened to a couple weeks ago that we did at Dead of Winter was a lot of dead kids. It and made that me bothered so Kobe sad. Too. It made me so uh, sad. And it is a sad story. Sad. It's just one that I you know I've known that story for so long that I thought, well, this would be a great episode to do for a winter theme, not thinking how depressing it was it, for it, everybody. It was your, story, your writing but. and the description, like the way you literally, the way you put together the words was beautiful and well, so upsetting. Good. Well, thanks. So upsetting. I mean, thank you. But, um, anyway, yeah. uh, we, we will, ch- we will steer clear after next week of dead kids. I don't think no promises, probably any more this season that okay. I can think of He's anyway. Lying. Well, no, I don't think I am. Well, I don't think you're intentionally um, lying, but I don't, there will be any... more eventually, but not <laughs> in this particular season. This probably. is like, you're the, you're the weather probably. man saying a hundred percent chance. Well, yeah, no you're more right. Dead zero percent <laughs> chance right. of snow. There'll be zero percent chance of dead kids in this season. And then, you know, that's not a call you should make exactly. anyway. Guys, thank you for listening, and uh, we hope that you will um, continue to listen, uh, continue to let other people know about the podcast. Um, I mean, if you like it, please spread it around. If you don't like it, just don't tell anybody. Um, Just just stop listening. You know, if you don't like it, don't listen. But if you do like it, spread it around to your friends, and uh, we will see you in a couple of weeks. Uh, Okay, so this super depressing episode of American (laughs) Hunting's podcast was written by Troy Taylor for some Damn yeah, reason. Yeah, and yeah, it was produced right? and edited by me in tears. Cody Beck. <laughs> if you're not a regular listener of the podcast, we hope you'll check out our bi-weekly dose of history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark yeah, side of the If you're not American a regular history. listener and you just drop into one of these episodes, oh, imagine you're if really this is gonna, the, someone's jumping on. That's point. what I was thinking too. You're really gonna go, okay, these guys, I don't want to listen to this. Ugh, so this is so depressing. Guys. Yeah. You can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you listen to your favorite shows, or you just not listen if this is your first episode. Just be yeah, like, I'm 
I'm may done. never I'm done listen again. Yeah. Uh, you can find our website at AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com. Did you ever start putting up the photos that we talked about? We'll talk about that later. Okay, and um, shows, notes, photos, links, more. He called so me So no photos. So really, I should just take that out? Is that what you're saying? You know, we'll talk about it later. Uh-huh. Um, if you're a regular listener, we'll you know, I only write every one of these, right? To and record the monologues. You could at least put pictures up. On so. the Apple Podcast app and share the show with your friends, neighbors, relatives, people you pass on the street. Should it be whomever or is it whoever? You're the right. I don't know. I well, don't know. I know it probably should be whomever, but that sounds pretentious. It does sound pretentious. I don't like I don't really like to use whom because it sounds pretentious. It's a made up word to really trick like students. I actually said in one of these episodes, I actually caught myself and it was too late to stop. I actually said during one of the monologues, I actually said advertisement. Oh my god. It was gosh. in the last episode. While you were sipping tea? Uh, yeah, it, I said advertisement and I thought uh, and I just mm-hmm. left it and I should have taken it out. I guess if I start saying schedule and things like that, schedule. you're going to stop me from talking about, you Actually, know, uh, eating chips and, you know, and <laughs> right. uh, crisps and things. And but biscuits. I really did say advertisement and I caught myself doing it and I left it. So it's in the episode. Sometimes so, like sometimes you'll say a word and then the begin like in the middle of it, you will like stutter or say like, uh, or something. And like, I don't think you realize how much I, how much I make you say things you didn't actually say, or I make it yeah. sound. So well, like I right. could, I have so many hours of your voice. I could make you say whatever. The oh, hell I'm I sure want you could. Yeah. It, so sure if anybody has any ideas. Yeah. And um, I always, I found that I always, guy. as I'm reading this stuff out loud and I'm not sure I do it when I'm just reading it, but when I'm reading stuff out loud, I find myself saying neither all the time huh. in the podcasts I say neither but I think when I'm just like talking just in general yeah. or in my head when I'm reading I think I just say neither hmm. but I know that I say neither in these monologues and I don't necessarily mean to yeah I'm not trying to sound like an asshole but I do it say, and I mean really I think that I think the highest level of my assholishness was advertisement. Advertisement. And I left it in there and I should have taken it out and someone will probably make fun of me about it but Whatever. I'm gonna like so, turn that part up. You know, hey, I'm episode. a I'm an Anglophile. I can't help it. So, you know. <laughs> oh geez. Okay, if you're a fan, uh, then you also know yeah, that American Hauntings is not yeah. just this podcast. It's books, tours, uh, events, yeah. and our main website is AmericanHauntings.net. For those of you who write to us and tell us that you wish we posted shows more often, well, you can have fresh content. This is my snarky way of telling people, hey, man, Patreon. Patreon. Really, That's not the it only perk you'll get either. It helps us out. There's discounts, shirts, stuff in the mail, all kinds of things. For those who don't understand how important our Patreon is I mean, because you, have, you haven't us, looked at Cody's shirt. I mean, people don't one? always know this. People don't understand that the American Hauntings clothing thing is yeah. yours. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's something that we just kind of do, Cody does, in conjunction with American Hauntings. Yep. And he puts up new shirts all the time. And I, I did a while think, hair and just kind of Yeah, I don't think people realize just how many. I mean, the only time they use the messaging thing when they think it's going to get to me. And that, those don't go to me. Stop sending messages <laughs> yeah, who that would way. Know that, though? But, um, but the clothing thing is Cody's. And. There's some, I mean, we, I do shirts every once in a while, like as a special edition thing and, but not very often or like the hats or something, but Cody does, there's a lot of really fun shirts on there, like our morbidly curious shirt and stuff there, you know, there are some good shirts on there. And I, and if you are, if you are a Patreon subscriber and that's the level that you're at, you get to pick from those shirts. You get six shirts a year. Yeah. Yeah. 
seriously, it's worth it because there's some really fun shirts on well, there. Well, thanks. Yeah. Really, I mean, there's some, people show them to me all the time, and I'm, oh. and they, I guess they think that I came up with it. I'm like, that's Cody. <laughs> I, that's all me, and that's awesome. But that's Cody's thing. So well, yeah, yeah. I just have anyway, like, I just, I just wanted to mention that because I don't think everybody realizes. Well, I appreciate. It. Yeah, I just, yeah. Like, there's, there's fun stuff. I have on a there. lot of ideas like on a whiteboard stuff, but I have shirts to say like haunted. You yeah, know, but there's, there's one about like this. There's some horrors in this house. Yeah, that's it. There's, <laughs> there's some, some horrors in this house it's hilarious <laughs> right. i mean and i think that came out of our new orleans season didn't it it did i but thought then, well then that song came out and yeah then yeah yeah just like get so, put it all together yeah some fun stuff yeah. so anyway sorry no you're fine. go ahead I, with I, your I, thing this is the nicest thing troy's ever said to me um oh it is not so thank you for yeah check out the patreon in public probably you're <laughs> right so um, if you have any comments about the show, suggestions, did reviews, we say patreoncom slash American Hauntings? I, I don't know if you not, said that. I did not. I did not say patreoncom yeah, slash You can find Hauntings. it on our page and stuff. Um, and seriously, it's um, you know, I mean, you could go as low as a dollar. Yeah. If you're, you know, want to do that, or That's you really can nice go up. Still. It is. It is. We appreciate it. But seriously, the shirt thing is what <laughs> is what gets me. Oh no, seriously. Because there's a lot of fun stuff in that store. Yeah. It's, it's a separate store from the rest of our store. Yeah. And it's got a lot of fun stuff in it. We have masks and sweatshirts. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. stuff. We have also... I have mean, a... there are all kinds of hoodies. We we do a couple. We did a couple for special events. Cody's got them all the time. Yeah. You know, yeah, and there's a ton of t-shirts and stuff. And honestly, um, I, I recommend it. Even if you don't want to join Patreon, I'm just telling you how sure. you can get six free, you know, with your Patreon yeah. membership year, a year. But just if you just want to check it out, seriously, there's well, fun thanks. stuff in there, so I recommend it. That's awesome. And also, there is a Patreon tier that I don't know if anybody's ever hit, What's that? where it's it's talking to you. I think they get some like one-on-one conversation really? with you. Okay. Well, I there. didn't. I didn't. I didn't approve I that. Lisa I don't I know. Did, I don't know who so did that. Anybody but... wants to check that out? Patreon.com/slash American Haunting. Uh-huh. Well, and if you have any, I mean, comments I guess about I'll have to go show, along with it. But I did not approve that in advance. It'd be so, so funny. No. Um, comments about the show, suggestions. Right, you got to be like jokes. doing like cameo things or something. You actually do the um, singing telegram. No, oh, no, there's no way. <laughs> yeah. Troy, no one wants Troy, that. It's a ten thousand dollar Patreon. Oh yeah, right. Um, <laughs> you just tell us what you really think of us. We're reachable via email on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Messages in a bottle. Carrier pigeon. And telegram. And telegram. Thank you, Diana. Again. Thank you so, so much, Diana. Yeah. Until next time. Goodbye, so long. See you later. See you later. All right, that was just over an hour, too. That turned out to be, we made it work. Yeah, we made it work. Yeah, we made it work. I was, I'm...